0: Welcome to Fundamentally Human, a podcast about mental health topics unpacked in an easy to understand way. My name is Shervin and I'm your host. Let's get started. I find that when I hear about other people's experiences, it's one of the most valuable and effective ways to learn about situations and to gain new insights especially things like mental health challenges, health conditions, and any disorders, which some can be quite invisible, it can also seem to be an uncomfortable topic for many people. And for some cultures and environments, it can even be taboo. I recognize that it's highly personal and sensitive and people aren't entitled to know what's going on with you. And a lot of us don't want to appear weak or incapable. Super fair. There are so many reasons why someone might not want to share, but I hope that through these episodes on the podcast, I really want to be able to normalize mental health and remove some of the barriers to receive support, and I also want to have listeners feel like they're not isolated and they're not alone with what they might be going through. So today, I've invited Jason to chat about his experiences with disabilities in both his personal and professional life. Thanks for being here today, Jason.
1: Hey, thank you for having me. It's my honor to be on the podcast.
0: And can you share a bit about yourself with the listeners?
1: Yeah, so my name is Jason Shea. I was born and raised in Taiwan. Um, I speak three different languages myself. Chinese, Japanese, and English is actually my third language. And I'm also a proud father of an autistic genius. Uh, my son was diagnosed down- with autism, ADHD, back in 2013 when he was age three. And uh, we were living in Japan back then, me and my wife. My wife was Japanese. And uh, we couldn't find uh, help and the support in mm-hmm. Japan. And uh, to give you a perspective, to give a listener perspective, we used to live in Tokyo, Japan, one one of the biggest metropolitan area in the world, with a population of 14 million people just in the city of New York, not counting the surrounding metropolitan area. But in the entire Tokyo, Tokyo, uh, city of Tokyo, we can only find two therapy centers to take out son to back then and back in 2013. And uh, that's not a very good situation to be a parent. And my son is my oldest, is also my our first kid, uh, trying to figure out and navigate that situation was very, very frustrating. And uh, we decided to move to the United States back in 2015 because we don't have the help in Japan that we needed. And then um, after we moved, we started to figure out that all the therapy that we can get in the United States. However, a a lot of the therapy that we want to get for our son, the insurance uh, that we had back then don't cover it. (laughs) So it's it's out of pocket. And we're talking about ABA, like Applied behavior analysis, which is one of the popular one-on-one intensive therapy you're talking about. You need 20, 30 hours a week of one-on-one therapy. And those is like $150 an hour. (laughs) So those are not cheap. So that's where I, I started being a serious entrepreneur myself. I was just thinking about how can I help my family to afford afford this and pay for the therapy. And I started to talk to different uh, teachers, therapists, and um, of course, parents that I know that also have kids with special needs. And uh, I decided to start my own company back then in 2017. So currently I own a company called Lucky Kid. We specialize in designing sensory product for kids with sensory needs, just like my son. So that's kind of a quick background.
0: That's really awesome, especially because you have such a personal tie to it. And when you talk about your son needing 20 to 30 hours of therapy a week, what kind of therapy is that?
1: So uh, I just kind of mentioned ABA therapy is a behavior and it's called applied behavior analysis therapy, but it's a one-on-one behavior therapy where the therapist will usually a BCBA will create a therapy plan. And during the therapy plan, they will try to, kind of almost like a behavior modification trying to uh, make sure like how can he self-regulate emotionally and how can he mm. uh, have a social interactions with other kids in in the typical settings and just i mean that's also why aba could be so kind of controversial because it's about behavior modification like uh, at least from my understanding, that's how I see it. Of course, I'm not a therapist, so I'm not here to offer medical uh, advices. I'm just trying to share my experience as a parent, looking from the outside. This is what I I I feel like the therapy was doing for my son. And to be honest, I feel like it's pretty beneficial for my son. Of course, my that's my good. wife will my wife will disagree. My wife is like always <laughs> oh, spending all this money, and so, so is that's where the, this can be a very controversial topic we in the special needs communities because some people have good response, some people have bad response. And the main thing with a one-on-one therapy like this is all depends on the chemistry between the kid and the therapist. Yeah. And we actually change three or four different times to different therapists because the first couple of therapists that was working with our son, we don't like it. We don't like him and or her or whoever we are working with back then. And we need to change a lot of different providers. And finally, we find a provider that we like that we, we continue. But it's a learning process uh, for the parents and for the kids as well.
0: For sure. I can imagine just experiencing that and then wanting to move to find better support for your son. It was not an easy decision to make or an easy journey to have. And it, so how old is your son now?
1: Uh, he's 11. He's going to be 12 this year.
0: So. Okay. So it's been quite some time since... um. He yeah, started we have, therapy.
1: Yeah, and we have two other kids too. Uh, so we have an uh, older son and we have uh, two girls. Uh, uh, my middle one is going to be eight. Uh, then the youngest is four. So 11, 8, and
0: 4. A busy household indeed. <laughs> yeah, and I,
1: I, I own two different businesses too. And uh, <laughs> so just trying to uh, juggle everything.
0: Yeah, I, I bet that's a lot on all of your plates. I do want to ask, though, so Jason, especially in Asian communities, having some type of mental disorder, disability can be quite taboo. How was it like finding out about your son being autistic 11, 12 years ago?
1: So I think the main thing, this is a very sad situation, like I mentioned. That's also the reason why we couldn't find resources in Japan. Mm-hmm japan just like all the other asian country i'm from taiwan myself but taiwan is not much better china is about the same south korea all the asian countries the same that's a huge cultural taboo around disabilities and the mental disability like you mentioned in the very beginning your intro is invisible so people tend to hide it pretend doesn't exist or just flat out doesn't even talk about it so that lead to lack of awareness lack of resources lack of opportunity for the family that have kids on on the spectrum or with different mental uh, needs. So it's a very challenging journey, especially in the beginning. Um, The most common things, uh, because I'm also part of a a mastermind called Special Father Network. Uh, It's a nonprofit that we support here, actually, um, where every single week, I meet with 10 other fathers like me that have kids with special needs, either. Uh, autism, Down syndrome, or cerebral palsy, or something a little bit more severe than, even more severe than, than autism. But what we are also sharing is during our journey, a very common thing, especially for the dad, is denial. We tend to just flat out refuse to accept that something wrong with our son. For me, since there's nothing else in my family, there's no one else in my family that ever had a mental condition like autism, in my, in my parents, in my grandparents, at least not I'm aware of. So I thought it should never happen to my son. It must be a mistake. So I was really in a kind of a denial for the first six or three months, uh, three to six months, I think, that for the father, because uh, when I was working in Japan, I'm barely home as you know in the in the asian culture they they work you to death you don't really go home i will leave my house at 6am don't get home until 10pm and that's every single day i work like 12 hours every single day days in and days out and after work you're expected to go drink with your supervisor <laughs> that is that's the <laughs> japanese that is culture that's
0: very common so
1: that's very common so you don't really i don't really get to see my kids besides work and you know and i just i can only um, no, based on what my wife told me, and but I don't have as much daily interaction with my son as my wife do. So from my perspective, there's nothing wrong. But from my wife's perspective, it's hundred percent something wrong. That's why she won't really persist on getting the getting him to take a look, uh, like the full evaluation in the hospital and all that. Mm. But from my perspective, because of lack of interaction with my son, I didn't see that. I couldn't. Well, I guess I I didn't see that. Because I didn't spend as as much time with him as my wife.
0: Thanks for sharing that. I wonder also how did your the other parts of your immediate family respond? Your own parents?
1: Mm, I think they also was mm, not really supported in the beginning because okay. like okay, that's just there must be something that else you can do. It must not be autism. Maybe. Uh, the kids just need more spanking or the kids just need more <laughs> discipline. You know, that's common agency. thing. It's like, it's a very common for Asia. It's like, okay, if the kid kid's not behaving, behaving, then you need like a physical punishment. <laughs>
0: <You> <laughs> and know, I that's know that's we have common, common so, about this, yeah. but it is sad to say that that is and was still presently a common way to have our children or have people listen to others and I hope that this can change especially in a lot of the more strict and restrictive both of those cultures and yeah I ask this because I can only imagine if you were in denial how much more denial an older generation with a different gap of learning must have had and many of us you know will tell ourselves oh we won't be like our parents and Well, in some aspects, at least. But now that you're a dad of three and raising them in a more Western environment, do you notice any similarities or differences between the way you're raising your kids versus what your parents did? How does that all look like?
1: I think it's very different because uh, I received more Western education. I went to high school and college in California. And um, so a lot of my thinking is a little bit different than my parents because of my, uh, I guess, background. And what I really want to avoid is, um, this is actually tied to a new product we're launching. <laughs> we are launching a new product called a uh, Great Dad's Medallion or Great Dad's Coin. Uh, sorry, we are not doing video, so you couldn't see the coin, but I would still let mm-hmm. you see it. But what it is, is it, it symbolizes uh, the, the whole meaning of being a dad as is this, is, uh, this coin is a partner, partnership between us and the 21st Century Dad Foundation I just talked to you about. And in the back of the coin, it says, great dads are present physically, emotionally and spiritually. And this is very, it resonates with me in a very deep level because growing up, my dad is physically present, but he's not emotionally and spiritually present because he is also an entrepreneur. The very same year when I was born, he started his own business with my mom and my uncle and aunt. Four of them started their businesses in uh, apartment in Taiwan because there's no garage in Taiwan. Taiwan's too small, <laughs> so they were able to uh, grow these businesses from a four people company to multi international company with headquarters in Taiwan factory in China and oversee offices in all the major countries. But they were so busy with the businesses. I was the very same year when I was born, I was sent to live with my grandma. So I feel like I wasn't my, my, my dad, especially wasn't emotionally present for me growing up. And I really don't want that to happen to my kids because now I'm also entrepreneur, (laughs) just like my dad. I feel, I feel like I'm also uh, if i'm not careful i might be repeating what my dad was that the whole experience of being an entrepreneur is you get you just work a lot yep. <laughs> as an entrepreneur so i really trying to avoid that from happening so right now i make sure i only i still work a lot i work i wake up at 5am every single day um and I, i'm actually in my coworking office right now uh, I work from six to five PM, but after five, I try to make sure I don't bring any work home, and I try to make sure when I am at home, try to be right. more present with the kid, try not to think about a business as much. It's sometimes so hard to turn it off as an entrepreneur. I just couldn't turn it off like about okay, this is a new project we're working on, or this is a new business idea I'm working on. It's hard to turn that off, and I think as a man, even if you're not entrepreneur, it's hard to turn off your work. Is because a lot of the things that we Identify ourselves as men, as a father, as a breadwinner is, is our work. That's kind of our identity almost that is so important to us. And sometimes that's where the family and uh, business or work-life balance, like a lot of people say. It's, it's hard to make that balance. I mean, I think in the U.S., it's a little bit more healthier than in Asia. But it's still a learning curve. That's still something I'm really working on to make sure I can spend more time with my kids, not just physically, but also emotionally as well.
0: You're yes, right about that, where... I think back to when I was in, I think, grade two, about seven years old, we had this assignment where we had to write about our parents and talk about what they like to do. And I wrote that my dad likes to work. (laughs) And my mom still (laughs) brings this up to this day. And very traditionally so in the past, you know, the women were expected to take care of the home, whereas the man was the breadwinner. And now that we're in 2022 and moving forward. There's a lot of emphasis on equality on women working too and being in the workforce. And that also means that, you know, they're looking at things like their careers. They're not always defaulting to being a stay-at-home mom. So I can imagine there's a lot to juggle with in terms of being able to work, doing something you enjoy and taking care of the family. What are some of the things that you do to turn it off after a work day or at least be more present, not only physically, because I mean, you could be there with your kids, but how are you there for them emotionally and spiritually and for your wife too?
1: Yeah. So the way we do it, at least the way uh, I try to do with my kids is, uh, we have a daily bedtime routine. Uh, So as part of our bedtime routine, we will. I mean, with my older kid, at least, uh, we'll sit together and uh, we'll share one thing that we're grateful for for that day, and it's uh, just like a very simple thirty second, Like, what are you grateful for, either from school or from families? Well, I'll i, will, I will also share something I'm grateful for uh, for that day. Then we'll share a win. You know, this is just share something that that is a uh, a win that happened in school or happened at home, or you know, or sometimes my my son would just say that he did something uh in his video game. <laughs> that could be a win. Sure, yeah. why not? It doesn't it could be anything. And what we will do next is uh we do a family meditation together for five minutes. Um it's just I I'm really uh focusing on mindfulness right now. And this is something I also do with my company, with my employee. Uh we do a group meditation during team meeting as well. Uh, once a week doing the overhand team meetings, and then um, we'll do uh, some very easy stretch together. So that's kind of like kind of answer, hopefully, that kind of answer your question on how mm-hmm. the way um, the way I'm trying to have a more consistent schedule <laughs> because you know, as an entrepreneur, I always want to make sure everything's consistent, is uh, have a consistent schedule and a consistent quality time with my kids on a uh, daily basis and i also read books with them uh as well uh i think my son just finished reading a book about uh wow. i think uh einstein uh, a couple of weeks ago and uh, we're reading a book about thomas edison you know that wow. the, 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 that's a it's another way for us to you know read a book together and learn about other people's uh other successful people's journey on how do they how does Thomas Edison become Thomas Edison? <laughs> you know, it's mm-hmm. it's just uh, for me to. I I enjoy some of the reading that I'm doing with my kids as well, and uh, my daughter was reading Harry Potter. Uh, but then uh she's she wanted to take a break from Harry Potter, so now we're reading some other series right now. <laughs> so yeah,
0: it's great. Reading was definitely a big part of my own childhood. Being able to escape into that those fantasy worlds, Harry Potter is one of my favorites. And I just really appreciate, again, how you brought up not only being there physically for someone, but emotionally and spiritually too, because it can really resonate, I think, with a lot of people in many other relationships, whether or not a listener has a child, it could be their partners, it could be their family, their friends, and things even like if you're out with your friends eating, not to be on your phone the entire time. Or to listen
1: to your friends. Yeah, Yeah, it's hard because even with my kids, they're always on their iPads
0: sometimes.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
0: it's hard. It does suck you in. I had a chat with one client where I really encouraged them to take a moment to pause and really listen to what their friends or loved ones have to say before trying to jump in and answer or share their opinions and they really found that by listening better they were able to build more meaningful connections not only that but they also took away the pressure of having to think about what to say next sometimes the power of listening can really be much more empowering than some people think so yeah just being there in many different ways is important rather than just sitting and physically being there A really great point you brought up there jason And I know that when you first reached out to me to chat about an episode on the podcast, you let me know that you have your own personal struggles that you work through on a day-to-day basis. I'm wondering if you can share about those with us, please.
1: Yeah, so I also have ADHD and uh, bipolar disorder myself. And I didn't realize I have ADHD until fairly recently, actually a couple years ago when I learn about my son's diagnosis and trying to learn everything I can about it. Uh, And I realized I was checking nine out of ten boxes myself. (laughs) Mm. So that kind of explained a lot of my childhood struggle because um, I went to five different high schools, not just in California. I went to a school in Canada for a year, then I went to a different school in California and went to a couple other schools. But the reason why I changed so much school is because I struggled. I didn't. I couldn't catch up. Uh, I was born and raised in Taiwan. I lived there when I was age 15. And uh, the main reason why my parents decided to let me study abroad by myself is because I didn't got into the top three high school in Taiwan. In Taiwan, high school is not mandatory. You need to pass a national test. And I think I scored and got into number seven. But as you know, Asian parents always want you to get into top three. So for them, <laughs> top seven, number seven is not good enough. So I was sent to study abroad because I didn't exceed what me, my parents' expectation of me for uh, for the high school test. So mm-hmm. since then, I I struggle a lot in school uh, because I didn't speak any English at age 15. I was sent to a new country in, back in that's actually in Canada in a language school where I didn't speak any languages. I have no friends and I was living with my dad's friends in their basement alongside with their dogs. <laughs> and it just ha- it, I just didn't have a very good childhood experience and having ADHD definitely doesn't help. And, um, uh, i just i escape into video games a lot i just i don't want to study because i feel i i the thing about adhd is a superpower if you use it correctly and this is something i'm also sharing with my son right now is uh we're actually reading a book together it's about like it's like a workbook for kids with adhd i find it pretty beneficial inside the book you also have different exercise mm-hmm. on how do you identify your your strongest or your your superpower because The perfect analogy I think I heard from a different podcast is having ADHD is like driving a Ferrari, but with bicycle brakes. So you cannot slow down. You go super, super fast and, you know, with a Ferrari, but you couldn't slow down. That's the main issue I'm still having as of today. As an entrepreneur, I couldn't turn it off. I I think a lot of about a lot of ideas and I couldn't, I struggle with turning it off. That's why meditations on a daily basis is really important for my mind and for myself and for my my own well-being so yeah so but however if you use it properly this is a superpower i can listen to audiobooks in twice the speed sometimes right now i'm listening to 2.5 speed <laughs> for a lot wow, of book i'm listening really because actually if i listen to normal speed right now i feel like it's too slow and right now i'm so used to like listening to two uh, two times or 2.5 I can, I can still understand the bogus, no problem. But that's just part of having ADHD. If you use it correctly, it's a superpower. And that's also what empowered me as a visionary for my own businesses. I have a team of eight right now, including myself, that's working on my businesses. And uh, the thing about ADHD is you have endless of ideas. You you have so much ideas. That's why I don't believe in medications. And I feel like the, the medication that a lot of the U.S., uh, you know, the doctor will tell you to take. It's actually suppressing your ability and your creativity because they are trying to shuttle you. They are trying to slow you down. They are trying to make your Ferrari into a Honda. <laughs> that's what the medication <laughs> is doing. they are trying to they are trying to shuttle you. They are trying to. Sh- that's what the medication is doing to your brain. Is make you slow down so you don't think as fast so you can focus a little bit better. But you can still focus if you are just using it correctly. I think the the thing about ADHD that a lot of people misunderstand is okay you have ADHD that means you cannot focus. Not true. ADHD people with ADHD is you can hyper focus on the in on the subject you're interested in. For me, I can hyper focus on like a digital marketing campaign I'm working on for like two hours. No problem. But when that, when you want me to read a history book or something I'm just totally not interested in, I will lose focus after 30 seconds. That is the m- main misconception people have around ADHD. It's not that people don't have ability to focus. It's just they can only focus on the stuff they have interest in. When they don't have any interest, that that's also true for my son. So that's why he can go on his iPad and play Minecraft for three hours, but he can barely do his homework for like a couple minutes. <laughs> so
0: that in <and> every kid, <laughs> but ADHD just make it no. even.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. but it just makes the situation even even more uh, uh, more worse, I guess. It just go, you just push push the regular situation into more extreme, right? So.
0: I love that analogy about driving your Ferrari, but with bicycle brakes. You're just going so fast that sometimes it's hard to slow down, and of course yeah. with each person they have a different way of working through their diagnosis some people do find it helpful to have medication but more importantly i really like what you said about finding that superpower out of it and trying to find what the strength is behind a challenge that you might have because well with a lot of the work that i do with my own clients in therapy we work on reframing situations and looking the strengths behind our challenges some people might say, you know, oh, this is a blessing in disguise. And for me with OCD, it can be really difficult sometimes having the same type of obsessive thoughts or having this need to be very organized and structured. But I also look at it as a strength where I'm able to schedule my routine, schedule my day and get things done a lot more efficiently. And I think it's the same with what you said about ADHD. It's looking at those timeframes where you can really focus on a topic and really get it done instead of trying to stay in that mindset of, oh, this is bogging me down. Oh, looking at that negative aspect of how come you're not able to do something. It's because I have ADHD.
1: Yeah, and I think one more thing I want to share with the listener, I think this applied to all human beings, not just people with ADHD, is energy management. You can mm. choose. Uh, you need to figure out what day of what time of the day do you feel most your energy is highest. Yes, and focusing on those very mentally intensive tasks during those time. For me, I'm a morning person because I wake up at five a.m. every single day. So before noon, that's my peak hour. Afternoon, I get into a food coma. I couldn't think as much. So I try to do all my uh high mental intensive tasks like a podcast interview. In the morning, as much as I can, because I'm more, I'm more energetic, and I can share a lot better. I can talk to people a lot better. Um, so figuring that out for yourself because it's very important, and I think it's also very important for kids with ADHD, mm. what well, without ADHD, because the thing with the school system right now, you are we are expecting our kids to get on a school bus and sit in the classroom for like five six hours straight, with like very minimum. Uh, intervention or like breaks in between. Uh, That's not, I mean, even as an adult, we couldn't focus for that long (laughs) sitting on the chair. So that's why we, I mean, for my business, I'm really trying to help uh, change that. Uh, We have a whole program called Sensory Inclusive Classroom where we go into the classroom and provide the classroom with sensory product, with flexible seating product, provide training to the teacher and also help school to build sensory room. And that's what I believe in, because the education should not be sitting in front of a desk and a chair all day. That's like the Asian style traditional education. But in the more, I guess, uh, the Western world, more and more uh, uh, classroom is trying to use a more alternative approach. That's that's why flexible sitting is often also called alternative sitting. Instead of sitting in the chair, the kids sit on a yoga ball instead of uh, having mm-hmm. a desk the kids might have something else it could have a sofa and uh, that actually is scientifically proven to improve concentration if it's implemented correctly of course you don't want the kids to use a yoga ball and become a toy and soar around also so that's why having uh, the teacher needs to set that expectation for the kids. If we're going to use alternative seating, that's different classroom rule. And uh, this same concept can apply to a homeschooling parent as well. And a lot of our customer for my, for my businesses buy our product for their homeschool classrooms. And a lot of teachers buy our product for their own classroom as well. But I think that's important to have a different learning environment for our kids and even for myself. I I, I appreciate different uh, environment when I work instead of just always sitting in the desk. I actually, I'm, I'm, I'm talking to you from my standing desk. I actually don't sit when I work, I just, uh i usually can stand for like five six hours straight (laughs) Mm -hmm. so i'm just used to it and i have a i have a standing mat i use I stand on but i also you can feel the energy differences when you're sitting down versus standing up as well so that's a lot of different things you can kind of modify for yourself or for your kids and uh, i just want to share that thanks for sharing that jason i
0: appreciate just always hearing about different ways that we can work through things and what you talked about finding where energy management we also call that behavioral activation trying to figure out when you have the more more energy or trying to hype yourself up to get something done and an example I can give where you know one of my clients she wanted to walk a bit more and she found that. After work, she was way too tired to walk because she's been working the whole day. She had to commute home and she wants to eat and lounge. So the last thing she wants to do is exercise or walk for an hour. And that makes a lot of sense (laughs) when you're tired. So for her, she recognized that, oh, you know, during her lunch break was a good time or a bit earlier in the morning was a good time to walk. And it's very much the same thing for us. Instead of doing all the easier tasks first, it's about, well, can we do some of the harder things to get started with when we have the most energy? And then by the end of our day, we probably don't have the energy to tackle that. So it's something a lot of our listeners can benefit from. And even when I was in elementary school, I was born and raised in Vancouver, Canada. We were... Very much sitting in a desk for hours on end, other than our lunch, recess, kind of 15, 30 minute breaks to go outside and play. So I'm so glad to hear that there's a lot more changes in elementary schools. And not only that, but I think education and awareness. And that's really a big reason behind this podcast is because I personally don't have ADHD. I don't have children myself right now. And when I hear about your experiences, it It's very eye-opening, and it allows me to think about, um, in the previous episode about ADHD, my guest, Megan, she talked about accommodations. So as people who might not struggle or have experience with similar challenges, it's a great way for us to consider, well, how can we accommodate other people? And for other people, what accommodations can people make for us? Because it's a two-way street in order for us to help each other out.
1: Yeah, that's a very good point, yeah.
0: Are there any things that you'd like to share with new parents or anything about working with others who have a disability? Any final tips and tricks? Ooh,
1: I think this is very dependent on the kids, but uh, are we talking to just general parenting or special needs parenting? Because it's a very different world. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> See, I didn't even think about being specific with asking about that. How about one for each? And then for people yeah. who might be uh, struggling with ADHD or have know someone who struggles with ADHD. So a bit of everything. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I think I can share a little bit more on the special need parenting. Uh, when you have kids with special needs, uh, a lot of things, the, you, you look at the things from a different perspective because uh, there's a lot more things going on than the typical parents. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a lot of therapy mm-hmm. for my son, there's speed therapies, occupational therapy, APA therapy, then there's also therapy from the school, and you need to have special meetings with your team in the school, it's called IEP teams here in the United States, uh, it's called individual education. Uh, plan where um, on the annual basis or more frequently, if there's issues, you meet with your uh, teams, which is general education teachers, special education teachers and school administrator. If there's a therapist in school, you also meet with them. But I think in order to put all that together, having some kind of support network within your, um, I guess, ecosystem of friends or family that you can talk to that also have kids with special needs is really, really important because people don't understand the struggle that you're going through. For example, I'm talking to you, you don't have kids and you don't have, of course, you don't have kids with special needs. A lot of things I'm experiencing right now with my son, you just cannot resonate with. I know you have all the good intention that you want to share and help, but in a lot of times, you actually have the opposite effect. You just share that. You just make me more struggle. It's like, oh, why do I have a kids? You know, sometimes like yeah. we we'll, we'll, we we will be kind of resentful with our situation. So that's why talking to someone that also is in the similar bowl and there's a lot of different online support group uh out there on Facebook or different uh social media. We also used to run our own parent support group, unfortunately because of COVID. We are kind of restructuring our parent support group right now. But uh the listener can find our group because it's called Sensory Deal. We also do some support in that group on Facebook. But the idea is trying to find like minded people. Just like for my businesses, I talk with entrepreneurs uh, every single week. I'm part of a, a business mastermind where everyone in the mastermind is doing seven figure or more for their businesses. And we have different struggle uh, than the typical <laughs> regular 9 to 5 people. It is like we have problem with a team member. We have problem with our uh, businesses or even product launch those things a typical person cannot resonate and finding that same group of people like like-minded people is so important and that also true for people with adhd that's other support group for people with adhd finding other people that also have that and also struggle with the same issues so you can share and learn from each other i feel like is the most Critical and most important for my own success as a parent, as an entrepreneur, is to find and, and identify those group I can join, and that's why I'm in the mastermind group called Special Father Network for special needs dad. I'm in the mastermind group for entrepreneur, and also in different mastermind group for different aspects of my life that I want to connect with other people with, and that's how we learn. That's how we learn from each other as a communities and uh yeah i just want to share that i i think that will apply to any any different aspect either either special parenting or just general parenting or even a uh adhd as well
0: you're so right about that it can be very isolating when we're struggling with something and as much as people have good intentions it can feel very disconnected talking to someone who yes, doesn't have a similar 100%. situation And not only are you managing how you're trying to feel in those situations, but you're also trying to, you know, not hurt your friend's feeling or not hurt someone else's feelings, but also Mm -hmm. let them know that, well, I, you don't get it. And that's why I don't tell clients or people like, Oh, I understand. I get it. Sure. In one aspect I might, but ultimately I don't. So it's a great reminder for all of us.
1: And the other thing I want to share is um, find your hidden barrier. I'm really big in uh, Tony Robbins, where he talks a lot about mindset. And uh, I read a lot of different mindset books. One of the books I read recently, is uh, the title of the book is called The Great Leap. It talks about how all every single human being on Earth have hidden barrier that's set inside of you. And those is like, for example, when you, you won't allow you to go beyond a certain level of success. You will straddle yourself. For example, to give you an example that I I faced earlier this year is um, my business is about to do more than one million dollar, and this is for the first time we'll be hitting more than one million dollar revenue.
0: Congratulations! For the past
1: for the past six years since I started business, I struggle. I, I the best the best year I had is last year. We did over six hundred thousand. We never hit $1 million before. So this is where your inner subconscious sometimes will come out and sabotage yourself, which mm-hmm. the best example I have is I will have myself stabbing myself in the back. That's that's what the subconscious is doing. And oftentimes for me, you need, uh, for me sharing from my own experience is I feel like I was fundamentally flawed. Like, I feel like I was a failure because of the childhood experience I just shared earlier in my high school. I struggle in school. I always feel like I was a failure. That's why I went to so many different schools. That's also, that sometimes will trigger because of your childhood experience that will come back and haunt you when you are seeing some success or some level of success in your own life, either financially or emotionally, or you're just having so much happiness where you're just having such a good relationship with your loved one, sometimes you will stab, you'll stab yourself in the back and try to sabotage the whole thing. So I feel like that's really important for the listener to at least understand that or seeing that. And I, I feel like not enough of us is looking in inward and try to f- find out what is triggering us. Everyone is trying to find someone else to blame. It's like, oh, this, yep. because this is happening to me, it's because you did that, because someone else did that. It's that like, a lot of time it's not because of people around you. It's us. It's inside of us. So I feel like that's a very, very important, uh, lesson for the listener trying to do that in inner, uh, soul searching. And that's something I have been doing for many, many years. That's why I'm really big on meditations and trying to find that inner inner peace or (laughs) trying to find that inner self i I know i'm not really religious but you can still you you can still have a spiritual connection with yourself or with the universe or with a god if you believe in god uh in a different way so i just want to share that because i feel like not enough of people is doing it because so busy in their day-to-day life they sometimes forgot to just stop and slow down and take a look at themselves and see and don't and take hundred percent responsibility. That's really important too. Because whatever happened to your life, you need to take a hundred percent responsibility. Otherwise, you cannot move on. Like I was, like one more story I want to share with the listener in twenty twenty, because of COVID, I was on the edge of bankruptcy and the divorce. Majority of my customer for my business e commerce businesses, which is lucky kid, we design product for schools <laughs> and you know what happened to older school across the United States back in 2020 every single school gets shut down around the same time so my business was kind of getting shut down alongside with older school no one's buying anything I have 200,000 inventory sitting in my warehouse nothing is selling so that is also where I did a lot of soul searching back then in 2020 I lay out my entire team I lay, I let everyone go because I couldn't afford them and then I kind of reset. It's kind of like a forced reset. The universe tell me it's like, okay, time, time for you to stop and take a look at yourself. And I take that as a lesson and really reset and restart my business and build the whole thing from scratch. That's what enabled me to have so much success last year because of the inner work I did in 2020. Last year, I have the best year ever for my business was generating over 600,000. But without that soul searching in 2020, I will be maybe sitting in in the corner of a street holding up a sign asking for money i'll be homeless because i'll I'll get full quote co- my house will get foreclosed on because if, if i do go through the bankruptcy processes i'll be very mm-hmm. i won't be speaking with you right now no. <laughs> for sure so because of that soul searching because of that uh, process i went through that's that's my journey and i just want to encourage people hopefully you don't get to that extreme uh yet <laughs> uh, but Try to use, that's still important to have that ongoing conversation with yourself, not with anyone else. So mm-hmm. setting that that personal time and uh, it's really important. So,
0: Thanks for highlighting that, Jason, and sharing such personal details with us because it's true, being able to self-reflect and take ownership of what we can control is so important. I noticed a theme that many people you know myself included we all fall under this at some point in our lives is we tend to potentially victimize ourselves oh why is this happening to me why no matter what I do this is all going wrong for me and of course it's okay to feel that way at times because when things aren't going the way we're intending them to it really sucks but what you mentioned about here and you emphasize is being able to reflect on what's going on what do we have control and what can we impact or change and be able to move and adjust our plans accordingly and that's so important
1: yeah and one more thing maybe i want to share then we can maybe wrap up today's (laughs) is uh think about there's a concept called zone of genius that's another book i read last year uh each of us have four different zones. You have zone of incompetence, means something you just really, really bad at. Zone of competence that's some a task that you are decent at. Then you have zone of excellence that's something you're really good at. But you don't love you don't you don't feel energized by it. Zone of genius is something you're good at, and you get energized by it. You got so much energy by doing it, your whole life light up. Like maybe the listener can feel my energy right now because my zone of genius is talking to people like the listener, talking to the fellow entrepreneur, talking to the father special needs parent. That is my zone of genius because I love to share my story, love to share my experience, love to share my struggle, and love to share my passion. And that is something that a lot of us is missing because they just go through their day to day, night to fives without truly understand what their zone of genius are. And it took me many years to find out. For me. My zone of genius is that con- human connection with other entrepreneurs and other people I'm serving and our, our partners. That's why my job title right now is Chief Visionary Officer. I'm the Chief Visionary Officer. I'm focusing on creating that vision, connecting with the right people, and motivating my in- entire team so we can cast and make that vision a reality because I'm so passionate about it and 100% making sure we can make it happen. But I don't know for the listener what is your zone of genius. That's only for you to find out. And but a lot of people never find out in their entire life until on their until the day they die, unfortunately, because they never do the inner work. They never do what it takes to find out. That's why they always get stuck in that nine to five corporate world, right?
0: Or are waiting for lightning to strike for them. Well, one day you'll wake up and figure out, oh, this is what I'm meant to do. But it doesn't work like that. It <laughs> a lot work of self like reflection and exploration.
1: Yeah. 100%. Yeah.
0: Thanks so much for being here today, Jason. Where can my listeners find or support you?
1: Yeah, so they can find our website uh, about my brand. It's uh, luckykid.com. it spelled as L A K I K I D.com and uh, we also have another website called Uh that's where we share deals and share a lot of free resources and we have another website for all the educators called sensoryinclusiveclassroom.org that's a three website we have here and uh, we partner with many different uh, nonprofit organizations that's our way to give back as well
0: I'll make sure to include those links into the description. But you provided so many helpful insights today about self-reflection, putting the work into it, and then finding support with other like-minded people. Thank you so much, Jason, for being here.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: To support my podcast and help reach others, please follow and share it with anyone who is looking to learn a bit more about mental health. For any listeners who are visual learners or would like some more resources, I invite you to read my blog posts on Shervin.ca, follow my Twitter at Hello Shervin and my new Instagram page at Therapy with Shervin for updates. See you all soon. Take care.